TopplessRobot.com presents... You're listening to Animated Opinions, the only podcast that can be entirely blamed on Shrek. I'm your host, Melanie. And I'm Emily. And today, we have for you a movie that I chose and regret choosing and regret a lot of my life choices, but this one is right up there. It's Hoodwinked. Can this be entirely blamed on Shrek? I would argue that Hoodwinked is distinctly a movie where someone watched Shrek and said, oh, we can do that, and then made Hoodwinked. Uh, you know, hmm. Come on, Maybe. come on, tell me that this wasn't a movie that was just a we're aping Shrek kind of film. It was like a mix of Shrek and then like, pray to God that they make something halfway decent and then they totally failed in all aspects of that. I mean, yes, ob. As evidenced by the fact that I deeply, deeply regret watching Hoodwinked. It's weird because this movie isn't... It's not like Izzy's Way Home terrible where the characters are just fucking turntabling all over the place. And I feel like it, if anything, hurts it that people aren't just skater matting onto screen. Well, I think the fact that this was... Ugh. We're going to get into this later, like after we go over the movie. But Hoodwinked was like produced entirely and made by 50 people in a house in the Philippines. Oh no. Oh yes. That's that's what we call slave labor. Yeah, I couldn't find any information on like how like the the production of this film is pretty well documented because uh thankfully it's well documented mainly due to the fact that it was independently funded and people when they talk about this lean heavily on it. And every single, I've got some articles for you, every single argument made by the writer and director of Hoodwinked, Corey Edwards, he like defends the shit out of this movie and blames it on the Philippines production crew. And the fact that they had no budget. I'm not even kidding. It's not their fault. Yeah, no. I'm not going to blame this on the Philippines production crew. They tried their best. Yeah, no, I've got some counters to that. You'll you'll enjoy that. But yet again, like you watch Izzy's Way Home and then you watch Hoodwinked and you can see that people tried on Hoodwinked. Well, Hoodwinked was made for like $7 and Izzy's Way Home mm-hmm. was made for maybe 5 Hoodwinked was also made, though, uh, what, 10 years before Izzy's Way Home? Oh, shit, that's right. Yeah. So, like, for 10 years before and made on three more dollars, Hoodwinked is pretty good. Well, that's three more dollars in comparison in today's money, right? So how much is that Yeah, 2005's money? Um, like five more dollars. I guess. Yeah. Dollar dollar math is hard. Yeah, no, especially when you're doing, like, conversions, because this was, like, pre-market crash, I guess. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was. Yeah, you got to take that into account. This has been Economics Talk with Melanie and Emily. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast, Animated Opinions. Yeah, we'll we'll loop back to it. Hoodwinked. Hoodwinked. 2005 American computer animated film that retells Little Red Riding Hood as a police investigation. 
and uses... It's a Rashomon ripoff. It really is. I think they actually mention it a couple times. Yeah. Like, as an inspiration. Um, Heavily leans on flashbacks to tell a story. Great. My favorite. It was produced independently by Blue Yonder Films with Canbar Entertainment for a grand total of $8 million in 2005 money. Apparently, this was possible, the low budget um, and the independent production. It was due to the decreasing cost of 3D software, which made it accessible to more than just large studios. Corey Edwards made this piece of steaming garbage. And he said, it's not a model to be followed. It was a once in a lifetime seat of your pants kind of thing that just barely came off. I would argue that it didn't come off at all. However, he added that the process was worth going through to get the film made and encouraged aspiring filmmakers to be willing to follow it. He literally says, don't do this, but totally do. Yeah, you know, just don't, but also, fuck yeah. You got it. So... Working apart from a major studio allowed filmmakers greater creative control, but not being attached to a studio kind of restrained them a bit economically. So because they only had $8 million, the animation was produced in the Philippines with a less realistic design inspired by stop motion films. I take issue with that. We'll get into it after, because if I start going off, we're never going to talk about the plot. It's true. I'm ready to pop the fuck off about that. The Weinstein Company did not sign on as the film's distributor until near the end of production, and while the company had many roles recast, it otherwise made few changes to the film. Thank God. Which, for the meddling, greedy people at the Weinstein Company, I'm sure it must have been very, very hard. Especially because it would have been difficult to try and recut an English language film. Looking at you, Dougal. But thankfully, this movie is in American English and not the Queen's English, so it would be more easily understood by the uneducated plebs, a.k.a. Americans. It's also like five times as stupid as Dougal, which is saying something. I know, which is weird. But also, it's it's not unusual for a production company to step in towards the end of a film and decide to be a distributor and or throw a little bit of money at them because there's a product to show. It's harder to get backing for a film that you don't have. Whereas if you have something that you can shop around, you're more likely to get a distributor. So that makes sense. sense. Structurally, the film was inspired by nonlinear crime dramas and it was released shortly after the first two Shrek movies. So DreamWorks yeeted out. Yeah, they yeeted out two Shrek movies. So think about the quality of Shrek, and then we think about Hoodwinked. Mm-hmm. Just briefly hold that in your mind. Shrek, a film with some degree of heart and fun. Hoodwinked. Yeah. Hoodwinked, however, intentionally deviated from that series in its style of humor and certain plot elements. It was based in part on Corey Edwards' concern over exposing children to a high level of cynicism often found in the genre. I can only assume he means fairy tales as a genre because he's exposing them to like police crime drama procedures. Yeah, and also there's a shitload of cynicism in this movie. This movie is like, I would say way more cynical than Shrek. It's cynical bits are genuinely its best parts too. Yeah, like I I think I genuinely, I didn't laugh, but I definitely scoffed a couple times. 
I laughed exactly three times and I documented each of them. I haven't read your notes yet, so I'm really, really excited to see where you laughed. Yeah. So this film was released by the Weinstein Company in Los Angeles on December 16th, 2005 for a one week engagement before showing nationwide on January 13th, 2006. And this release was done, the original one week engagement was done solely to qualify it for awards. I don't think they planned on it. Why? I don't think they planned on it having a theatrical run, but I guess it did well enough that they just decided to yeet it out into the world. And at the end of its theatrical run, it had grossed a total worldwide of $110 million. Holy shit, this movie was largely profitable. It was. Even if you add in all the movie stars, you genuinely came away probably with $50 million in profits based on movie movie stars voicing things and the ad cost. That's nuts. It was split about half and half, too. So it made about $51 million in the U.S. and $58 million in other territories and change. Holy yeah, Guacamole. so it was it was popular. It was slightly more popular overseas. It was approximately one entire hoodwinked budget more popular in other territories. Yeah, but I mean, other territories are more than one territory. Right. I don't know. That's everywhere. Hoodwinked also yeah. got a DVD release on May 2nd, 2006. So it had a pretty decent run in theaters. And it was released on Blu-ray and DVD in 2011. Think about it. Okay. The film was also the best-selling DVD in its initial week of release, selling over 700,000 copies, and it made $13.5 million. Who? Why? How? It wasn't even Easter. No. Oh, wait, hang on. May? Easter had happened? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. well, because I was going to... No, it came out on... Yeah, what the fuck? Because yeah. uh, you'd think this would be a good, like, Easter basket stuffer, and I could see that doing good. I guess. Who's buying DVDs in May? Mm, grandmas at the grocery store? Damn, Grandmas. Yeah, this was popular enough that a 22-minute behind-the-scenes video podcast is available for free on iTunes. I didn't watch it. I assume you didn't either. Uh, what is a video podcast? Is it not just a video at that point? It is, but it's available for free on iTunes. Fucking iTunes. Hey, who cares? Critical reception. Hey, review us on Apple Podcasts! Holy shit. <laughs> Critical reception to Sorry. this film was varied. Its script and cast were praised, but the animation quality was heavily criticized. It was a commercial success, earning over 13 times its less than $8 million budget. The sequel, Hoodwinked 2, Hood vs. Evil, was directed by Mike Disa. Disa? D-I-S-A. Yeah, Disa. Mike Disa. Was written by the Edwards brothers, Todd and... Corey and Leach. I assume, I think it's Tony Leach. It was released in 2011, the same year that Hoodwinked came out on Blu-ray to negative reviews and financial failure. 
I assume that this would have shocked nobody, except the first Hoodwinked was so popular. Well, like, I think if they had yeeted out Hoodwink 2 in, like, a year or two, mm-hmm. it would have made back its money easily and just been kind of a poor performer rather than financial failure six years later. Right. And I I also think I haven't seen Hoodwinked 2. I didn't watch a trailer. I'm not sure about the quality. I assume that the- it's on Netflix. Well, guess what? I'm not ever going to watch, Mel. Oh, I'm going to watch it tomorrow. Are you kidding me? I have to know. I'll take a look at it. You don't it. have to watch it. I'll take a look at it. Because I, I can only assume that the quality of the whole movie overall was just as poor. But that's almost inexcusable in 2011. Especially when you made right? that much money. I don't know, though. I mean, who was like, yeah, we're going to do Hoodwink 2 this many years later. Someone will want to see it. Corey Edwards. I blame him. Okay. I don't uh, know who you were, actually was responsible. You ready to get into this plot? Hell yeah. It's easy. But before we even get into the plot, we are immediately greeted with a giant Weinstein Company logo. So you're already kind of bracing yourself for the quality of the film you're about to watch. I don't know about you. It's It opened ugh. on that logo. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I know I just typed all of that shit out in the doc before I even started this movie. I saw the Weinstein Company logo and like my butthole clenched. Oh yeah, I was having Dougal War flashbacks. And then No, the improv. And then I got up and got a beer and I drank half of it before I clicked it all. That's how you do it. So once you had half a beer, Little Red Riding Hood, voiced by Anne Hathaway, yeah, discovers the that the big bad wolf. Patrick Warburton, good choice, has disguised himself as her grandmother. Granny Glenn Close, for some goddamn reason, mm. jumps out of the closet, tied up just as an axe-wielding woodsman, Jim Belushi, R.I.P. Oh, he's uh, dead? Is that one dead? I don't know. I don't know. Here, you one keep going on Google. One of them's dead one of them's alive. Uh, bursts through the window, startling everyone. The police quickly arrive, and Red Wolf, Granny, and the Woodsman are questioned by Detective Nikki Flippers, David Ogden Steers, about the events leading up to the incident. Is Jim Belushi dead? Uh, Jim Belushi appears to still be alive. Who? There's another Belushi? John Belushi. I think that James one's Belushi. dead. They're all... Uh, whatever the good Belushi is dead the poor Belushi lives on and voiced a character in Hoodwinked how do I spell Belushi B-E-L B-E-L-U-S-H-I it's like sushi with bell at the beginning yeah he died a long ass time ago well yeah he was funny yeah I thought the other one died too no Jim is still alive John is dead okay yeah. Uh, at any rate, this movie opens up on some PS2 level fucking textures. It's a nightmare. I actually thought for most of the movie that the eye specs, like the white reflections in the eyes, I thought they were fucking painted on. Like that's Dude, how bad the this eyes is. are. They're so nasty. Yeah, red looks like a dollar store doll, and the lip sync was somehow better than charming. Yeah, Charming's lip sync was not good at all. This one, the lips matched, I think, because they must have actually had professionals come in and try and direct the voice acting. The Weinstein Company does seem to care about the quality of the voice acting being good, and I appreciate that. 
Well, that's uh, because they have the money. They, the Weinstein Company also, I assume, has actors that they can pull in. Yeah. And I, well, like, there's not a ton of dialogue by Anne Hathaway. No, and Anne Hathaway, like, really, this was an afternoon for her. She yeah. got to go to the craft services table, pick her ass up, some nice, I don't know, roast beef sandwich. I'm not sure That's why what I'm gonna imagine. the lip sync was better. The performance seemed a little bit off, and I assume because the movie was redubbed with the main I think actors. They also pitched, but they had performances to go off. I think they her up of. a little bit. I don't yeah. think they did. I think that's just how she voice acts. Anne Hathaway's voice is also higher than you remember it being, and this is 2005. Oh, that's right. Yeah, this is She's fucking young. Princess Diaries Anne Hathaway. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is young Anne Hathaway, and she is wasted in this movie. But I definitely think that the voice acting and the performance is slightly better, only because they had performances to base it off of that were already in English. So they're not they're, it's less that they're trying to match whatever mouth flaps exist. Um they are they have a performance. They know exactly how it's supposed to go. Yeah. Uh and I mean the voice talent is fine. Everyone's doing a good job. Uh, they try their best to sell this and it's doesn't really work. It's not their fault. Yeah, we definitely should have skipped on um, the fur and hair textures as well. Like the wolf looks like oh. current Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes. Yes, he does. 100%. 100% these should have been solid textures. Because when they do the hair, it looks like they attempted to do... Uh, they look prickly. It, it's not a hair groom. Yeah. It's like, uh, we fucking applied a fur texture in Maya. Which they did. That is exactly what they did, by the way. God... But yeah, it looks like garbage. It ruins the lighting as well and makes the movie look even cheaper. Oh, oh, I have facts about the lighting. Oh, snap. You want to give them now? Let me just say that the lighting and compositing was not done by the studio in the Philippines. They outsourced it. They outsourced an outsourced oh, no. movie. Yeah. To India. Oh, no. So you're getting, oh, you're getting interesting. We'll, we'll dig into that a little bit more. I liked the tiny little arm movements on the woodsman. They were terrible, but it was great unintentional comedy. And also, I hated the fact that they were trying to do like unique character designs. The bear police chief is the shape of a gourd or a squash. Yes. Like he's he's got a long neck. He doesn't really have a differentiation between his head and his neck. But they didn't know how to rig him, so he moves fucking funky. Well it's and I was like, why would you why would you let this character design happen? Somebody like glimpsed at a how-to character design book and then thought they could make character designs. Well, in 2D, that bear worked. I got what they were going for. Uh, yeah. I guess. Right. I, I'm just not into it. Like, it felt to me like the designs were so all over the place that I just could not... They weren't, they just weren't cohesive at all. There was no cohesiveness. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> once they're questioned by Detective Nikki Flippers, Red explains that she was delivering goodies for her grandmother when she discovered a threat from the mysterious goodie bandit. Hoping to save her granny's recipes, she embarks on a journey to take them to the top of a nearby mountain where granny lives. On her way, she encountered the wolf, who asked her a series of suspicious questions. 
She managed to escape the bad touch and eventually reached her granny's house. However, she found the wolf was already waiting in ambush. It Yeah, I definitely stopped paying attention already. Like, Red starts talking, and I stopped paying attention. And Anne Hathaway, uh, this is a musical. This is a musical, by the way. This is a musical with, like, four songs in it, and they're all bad. And Anne Hathaway is wasted on it. Also, all of the human designs are just terrible. Everything is terrible. <laughs> um, at one point, Red is riding a bicycle, and the animation on her riding the bike is awful and then on top of that the bike isn't even on the background like it's just very clearly they didn't have the bike and the background mesh together at all i like physically had to look away by that point you made a good choice uh also uh, he doesn't come up in the plot summary just yet but andy dick plays a bunny called boingo and I'm going to ask you here to allow me to tell the story about why Andy Dick is the devil, specifically for people who love animation. I am unaware of who Andy Dick even is, so please go ahead. Go off, fam. If I may. Yes. There was a lovely voice actor, Phil Hartman. You may have seen him in movies and television, such as The Simpsons. He played the smarmy dad in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. His voice is super obvious and noticeable, and it's so good. He plays Zach Brannigan on Futurama. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful voice. Lovely person, too, apparently. Until, that is, he was murdered by his wife. What? His... Yep. His wife, who was a former drug addict who had gotten clean, they worked it out together, uh, happened to receive drugs from one Andy Dick. And in a drug-fueled whatever, murdered her husband, Phil Hartman, and killed herself. Oh, my God. Very sad. Very tragic. Yes. And then John Lovitz, a comedian who I also love, a part of the Adam Sandler crew, voiced the critic. Maybe you've heard of him. Is out and says some nasty shit to Andy Dick because Andy Dick deserved it. And Andy Dick looks at John Lovitz and goes, I'm going to put the Hartman hex on you. I killed him. John Lovitz beat the shit out of Andy Dick. Hell yeah. Yeah, and John Lovitz is like a squat little dude. Just swalloped him. I need to see what John Lovitz looks like now. Please, go ahead and Google him. But yeah, Andy Dick is the worst. He does a good job in this movie. Still the worst human that's ever existed. Hell yeah, John Lovitz. (laughs) Yeah, uh, John Lovitz can do no wrong for me ever because he not only defended Phil Hartman, but also just beat the shit out of Andy Dick. Who is he in Brave Little Toaster? John Lovitz? Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. Hold on, I'm looking it up. I love Brave Little Toaster. It's one of my favorite movies. Hi, everybody. What about the Brave Little Toaster goes to Mars? Oh! Yeah, bitch. Okay, okay. See? This is all animation related. Yeah. It's all that matters. So we're totally still, everything is fine. I still definitely thought the eye specs were painted on, but like they're part of the eye model. And then in the very next scene, I was proven wrong, but they still look terrible. Like there's no, you want to know what it is? There's no reflection in the eyes. No, there's none. It's just a blank, like, Lambert fucking shader. 
So yeah. there's no eye spec. There's no actual reflection. Uh, her eyes didn't blink in sync in one scene. And I think I died a little inside seeing it. I didn't see any of that shit. It was just one scene where they one blinks like a frame after the other. Yeah. And it's so noticeable because when eyes don't blink together, you're like, what's wrong? Oh, my God. Well, uh, I mean, just, okay. It looks unfinished. Okay. To be absolutely, totally fair, eye blinks are not necessarily perfectly symmetrical. But when you do it correctly, it's very hard to tell unless you're going frame by frame. We're not talking like lizard blink level of quality here, which is what this movie, I assume, did. Yeah, it was bad. If I noticed it and like didn't have to rewind, it was just like, no, that happened. Yeah, there's a singing goat on a roller coaster who serves no purpose. Uh, okay, the goat got my first laugh because he is cursed. He was cursed 37 years ago by a witch to sing everything. It it was so stupid that it made me laugh. I was he so, sings a song that has nothing to do with anything. I was so lost and scared. <laughs> uh, I feel that this movie is extremely on brand for me, and therefore I have to love it, even if I hate it. And then the goat had helicopter horns, which made me laugh. <sighs> Count that as a part of the first laugh, though, because it was just the goat. <laughs> yeah, which uh, the mm, Japheth. The goat has nothing to do is with anything. Is Japheth? Yeah, Japheth is a time killer. Yeah, he exists to pad this movie into feature length. Yeah, just like many things. Uh, a in this lot movie. of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of which, what first seems an open and shut case becomes confused that once it is learned that the wolf is an investigative reporter, he reveals that he was searching for a lead on the identity of the goodie bandit and had reason to believe that Red and Granny were the culprits. Locating Red, he questioned her, hoping to get to the bottom of the mystery. When Red escaped, he headed for her granny's house and, arriving first, went undercover, hoping to trick her into giving him the evidence he needed. I just don't know why this movie has to exist. Blame Shrek. That's this season's theme is blame Shrek. I don't blame Shrek so much as I blame every single money grubbing creative who saw Shrek and went, we're going to do the same thing because Shrek made money. You can't yeah. blame Shrek for other people's greed. That, okay, that's fair. Can I blame Shrek's success? Yes. Like, it's not Shrek's fault. It is just that the existence of Shrek, Shrek <laughs> doing this possible. Shrek doing the, like, 180 on the fairy tale genre and making people see that you can make fairy tales cool and hip and fun ruined the fairy tale genre. Yeah. And also ruined animation for a couple of years. Solidly. De well, it's still ongoing. Charming came out last year. Charming is like a, the last yeet of the industry to see if the Shrek formula still works until Shrek 5 comes out. Fuck you, Shrek 5 isn't happening. What? I thought Shrek 5 was a lock. No, they totally said that Shrek 5 was not happening. I heard Shrek 5 was happening. No. What the fuck? No, what you okay, heard. fine. What you heard was Chris Melodondry, fucking Lorax, the Illumination, Grinch. 
Chris Melodondry, publicly said, I want to make another Shrek movie. And fuck that guy. And every or or maybe a Puss in Boots movie. And everybody panicked because they were just like, wait, that's not DreamWorks. And then they had to like backtrack his statement. So yeah, no, you can find like on Cartoon Brew and Animation World Network, like you can find the article where Chris Melodondry was like, I wanna make a Shrek movie. And everybody was yeah. like, you want to what now? Like, why do we need more Shrek? No one needs more Shrek. So, yeah, that was publicly announced by Melodondry and then immediately corrected by everyone else. So that's not a secret. Okay. But, yeah, uh, we we kick into the wolf's timeline here. And unfortunately, Patrick Warburton's voice cannot save the fact that the second we kicked into this timeline, I was more confused and more bored than I had been with Reds. Yeah, there's a fake camera move and it's just bad. And then there's a porcupine character model and it's also bad. I paused the movie, I think, to get another alcohol or to get some water or to do something and I realized that I was only 20 minutes into this movie no and I was Um, scared yeah it uh you mentioned that you think it was boring and I was like I don't know maybe it's not no it was I think I was hoping that I would be more amused than I was like at least with charming I was kind of like, yeah, okay. Like, I wasn't actively bored out of my skull, but, like, I could never have seen Hoodwinked and been the same person. It's weird because all the stories are technically different, but I feel like they're just retelling us the same information over and over again. Yeah. Also, there's a squirrel character who hangs out with the wolf, Twitchy. and he's just Foamy the squirrel. Fucking wait, who's Foamy the squirrel? Uh, an internet flash cartoon from this time period. He was very popular. High pitched squirrel. Okay, said a lot of foul things. Okay, I don't know who Foamy is, so I assume that everything is fine. Yeah. Everything's good. Also, did you see the wolf just standing in the water mesh? I did not. It was so bad. Yeah, I... It was so awful. Yeah, nothing about this movie was appealing. The voice work, like I said, the voice work is fine, considering, but it's not the best. Um... This segment of the movie is just a series of Looney Tunes jokes with the wolf. Like, it's all wily Coyote gags. It's fine, I guess. TM, TM. Uh, but then he says, uh, Nikki Flipper says something about him being uncouth. And he goes, well, I was raised by wolves. And I think it was the Patrick Warburton delivery on it. But that made me chuckle. Laugh count, two. Yeah, the they mm, tried. Yeah. They try. Uh, you know, you can throw a lot of shit to the wall and eventually something will make me laugh. <laughs> Here we go, though, onto what I think is the worst part of the... Mm, no, the next one's the no, worst one. No, this Second was my favorite one. part. 
Of course it was. Uh, when questioned, the woodsman, Kirk, reveals that he is in fact an aspiring actor who was only trying out for the part of a woodsman in a commercial. After his schnitzel truck was robbed by the goodie bandit, he went out into the woods to get in character for his role and spent the rest of the day chopping trees. A large tree rolled after him and pushed him through the window of Granny's home. The investigation then turns to Granny, who reveals that, unbeknownst to her family, she is an extreme sports enthusiast. During a ski race earlier that day, she was attacked by the opposing team, but got away safely after learning they were hired by the Goody Bandit. Oh boy. Yeah. That was a... That was a short summary for what was half of this fucking movie. Yeah. I hate the woodsman model. He's terrifying, and I want him off my screen. You've said that already, but I wasn't really paying attention to the model so much as I suddenly glanced up, and now there's a song about schnitzel, and it was my favorite fucking song. I I was ready to leave. It was bad. Also, the children on screen during oh, the those schnitzel were bad. part were like little. They were awful. Those were bad. And then fucking gr- uh, Granny. That was a fuck this shit, I'm out moment. Like, when she reveals her neck tattoo, I was like, all right, I'm done. Yeah, Granny being in, like, fucking X Games mode. <laughs> fucking. Oh, oh my God, nightmare. we love this. So we were walking outside, and we were, we were just walking back, but it's a Saturday. So there's, like, these teenage boys all wandering down the sidewalk, and one of them is on a scooter, and he, like, does a hop on the razor scooter and a little louder than i actually thought i was saying it i just went oh my god he's in x games mode and these kids just turned around to look at me and i was like okay like haven't you guys ever heard of fucking vine like what do you want (laughs) oh they're too young for vine no i'm sure they knew i'm sure they knew exactly what I was saying. Yeah, you can hope. It's so, no. yeah, I, I hated this. The more movie I watched, the more and more as time went on, I I hated it. It wasn't even over yet. I could not wait for it to be over. And I, I just couldn't wait to finally watch a film where I wasn't bored to the point of considering just offing myself for it to be over. See, and like my brain, I was like, oh, you made me watch Izzy's Way Home. I will never forget Izzy's Way Home. But this was just bad. Like, it was so hard to keep watching. The second Granny said faux shizzle, I was like, this is it. I have to end it all. But I live on the second floor of an older two story building, so it's not even that tall. And throwing myself off the balcony, like, wouldn't kill me. Even the roof wouldn't Uh, kill me. Granny? Granny is like kind of a secret agent and there's a Matrix parody and who is this for in this movie? And then they relit her hair because it was directly against white snow Ooh. and it looked like shit. This was so bad that I'm done with it. Ooh. It's uh, like there's only two more plot nodes to go. We're going to get through this shit. And it's going to be over, right? Yeah. No, it's not over yet. <laughs> no, it's not over. And also somehow they have missed the 
big okay here we go yep despondent over her granny's lack of honesty red wanders off alone meanwhile nikki flippers realize that the one realizes that the one commonality between all four stories is a bunny named boingo voiced by andy dick and concludes that he is the goodie bandit however boingo has already snuck into the home and stolen granny's recipes red sees boingo and follows him to his hideout at a cable car station but the police pursue him in the wrong direction Granny, the wolf, and Kirk manage to locate Boingo as he is explaining his evil scheme to Red. Boingo plans to add an addictive substance to the stolen recipes and then destroy the forest, making way for new real estate for expanding his business. I hope everybody followed all that. Yeah, it's funny bad. I did not. I had to, like, read the plot summary a couple times to fully understand it. Also, when Red just, like, walks off alone, I started kind of, like, singing Passion Pit's Take a Walk in the background. (laughs) And it was far superior than whatever song they were playing. But I don't think Take a Walk had come out yet, so... Uh, They played a song that was Red is Blue, because Red was sad. Oh, yeah, I noted that. I was like, it doesn't make much sense. And, like... I was just really done with the trend of movies being really self-aware. But then I was like, no, it's just fucking fairy tale movies. <laughs> My note. I'm going to eat myself into the sun. I am fucking done. How are there still 28 minutes? Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I was begging for this movie to end. Like, please, God, just let it end. Food Fight was a better movie than this. That's not fair. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know who that's not fair to anymore, but that's not a fair comparison. You want to know who it's not fair to? Um, the animators in the Philippines. That's fair. Um, this movie's almost over. Thank God. The wolf and the woodsman go undercover to distract Boingo as Granny sneaks into his lair, but open conflict ensues. Boingo sends a bound and gagged red down the mountain in a cable car loaded with explosives, and Granny goes after her with Boingo and his henchmen in pursuit. Red frees herself, escapes with Granny. The police uh, wait at the bottom of the mountain, arrest Boingo, and it's all good. Sometime later, Kirk becomes a successful yodeler. Red, Granny, the Wolf, and Twitchy are enlisted by Nikki Flippers to join a crime-solving organization called the Happily Ever After Agency, thus implying that this movie was always set up for a sequel or television series or something. Yeah. And uh, it just took them a long time to fucking get to it. Yeah, the... I, this was where I went, I guess the bunny's the bad guy, but I was too distracted by something screeching outside my apartment. I couldn't tell if it was a dog or a person. So I had to get my dog to settle the fuck back down so I could finish watching the last 20 fucking minutes of Hoodwinked. Because that whole, that whole plot bit right there fucking is the last 20 minutes. Yeah. The evil villain song that the bunny sings actually kind of works. And then he says, you've been hoodwinked. And I was like, oh, I'm out. Um, Goodbye. I could not remember for the life of me any of the songs in this. There was more singing than I ever wanted this movie to have. The bunny was lacing treats with cocaine. I don't give a fuck. I ended up on Tumblr. I'm not sorry about it. Like, the bunny sucks. The movie sucks. Somebody stood by this, and it was a choice. And it was a bad choice. My final note is just, Emily, I'm sorry. It fucking better be. At least Izzy's Way Home was, like, really terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. 
Izzy's Way Home had some like laughs at the animation. This is just just nasty. Skater, skater, Matt. You skater, found Matt, some skater, skater, Matt. Skater fucking Matt. You found a lot of facts about this film that you probably want to talk well, about. Like so. I said, this. Oh, ow, I hurt myself. Jesus. Like I said. All right, old woman. So, well, I hit my knee on my desk. Oh. Don't fucking judge me. Poor baby. This movie had a very well documented production because it was independently produced. So that makes it a little bit easier for us. Now, Hoodwinked. Oh, God, I don't even know where to begin. Corey Edwards served as the film's main director because he apparently had more experience with animation, comedy, and children's entertainment, while his brother Todd Edwards served as co-director. Um, Sue B. Montgomery and somebody with the last name of Stutzman, who I do not remember, were joined by Disney animation vet Dave Lovegren as producers on the film. So there were three producers, Todd and Corey were the directors. They kind of pitched this around a little bit. Corey Edwards wanted to produce multiple films at once, but what ended up becoming Canbar Entertainment in 2002, they were just like, no, let's do one film at a time. Like Canbar agreed to fully finance this film before seeing a finished script and they wanted to release the film directly to DVD. So this was meant to be direct to DVD, which makes sense. Initially, yeah, that does make sense. Initially, they were working out of Tony Leach's apartment. Corey Edwards did the storyboards. Todd Edwards did the script while simultaneously writing the songs. Leach also edited the story reel. And then the producer, Sue Montgomery, showed the test screenings of the story to children in her neighborhood to gain input from their reactions. Apparently, we thought about cutting the goat, but they chose not to because he was apparently very, very popular at these screenings. And we can also blame children for Twitchy having a large role in this because I guess they really, really enjoyed him. You know, the children were right about the singing goat. Made me laugh twice. Yeah, I'm kind of torn on the singing goat. I genuinely think the singing goat was funny, just like since all of this movie was pointless, he felt additionally pointless. That's fair. Yeah. So, in an effort to save costs, the film's cast was originally going to be composed of friends and family members of the filmmakers. We are literally talking, like, cousins, childhood friends, random people they got roped in. But the Weinstein Company called for a celebrity recast when they stepped up to, like, produce and distribute... And that is how we get the cast we have today with Anne Hathaway, Glenn Close, Patrick Warburton, etc. Now, nice. The animation for this movie. So that's just like your background, like bullshit. I don't actually care about producers and directors. Here is what I like. The animation. The film's animation was done in Maya. Okay. And in an effort to save more money, was done entirely in Manila. Manila. Manila? <laughs> Manila. Manila. Was done entirely in the Philippines, in Manila. The producers, Sue B. Montgomery and David K. Lovegren, founded the animation studio Digital Eye Candy for the purpose of the film's production. Okay, that's fine. 
Corey Edwards traveled to the studio a total of 15 times over the course of the film's three-year production. Oh. That's not enough. No. They basically, it's not enough at all. What it sounds like was that they were just kind of like, make this movie, I'll come visit occasionally. And then they were blamed when the movie didn't go well. Wow. Yeah, or like didn't look good. So this was also, they didn't even like rent a studio space. It sounds like they just rented a giant house in an expensive part of Manila. But because I guess it's the Philippines, Corey Edwards was like, oh, the rent isn't even, it's not even more than my two bedroom apartment in Los Angeles. Which to be fair, apartments in Los Angeles are very fucking expensive. But this is like 2005 money when you could actually get a two bedroom apartment in Los Angeles for less than eight paychecks. Yeah. Yeah. Lovegren. David Dang. David K. Lovegren of Disney. He attempted <laughs> to start an independent animation studio in the Philippines before 2001, and this was called Imagine Asia, but it was closed when it failed to attract business. So Digital Eye Candy, when they started producing Hoodwinked, hired approximately 20 animators that had previously been employed by Imagine Asia, and at one point, Digital Eye Candy reached 50 employees. That is five zero. That's wow. not a lot. No, not for a whole movie. That's like a VFX boutique house. Counting production. God. It's a wonder this even got finished. Yeah. Even better. The film's animators had minimal experience with computer animation and even less experience making feature-length films. They had to be trained by the producers during the film's production, and nobody was specializing in anything, so there were no specific teams. Everybody was working on all areas of the animation process. Shockingly, the filmmakers found this to be a poor method because it kept individual skills of the animators from being utilized, but due to the independent backgrounds, the animators were pretty accustomed to working at a fast pace in that manner, doing everything kind of themselves. And despite being a tiny studio, each phase of production was able to be completed within a short period of time. Wow. Not well, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah, we Just got this movie done really, really fast. But, like, I would say at what cost? But the cost was $8 million. <laughs> so at, at the cost yeah at the cost of eight million dollars but even better uh the filmmakers found that the most difficult aspect of producing the film independently was the ability to f the inability i am sorry to fix the mistakes of this movie so if there was something that came back Todd Edwards explained, it became an equation. I have 10 things I would like to change on this shot, but I have the time and the budget to do three. Pick those three and then let's move on. And that was hard to do. If you yeah, are imagine. getting shots back that you don't have the time and the money to fix, hire better animators. It's true. Like if you, but how would they do that? Here's the thing: if you have a team of fifty animators, when you've got a tiny crew, it would be 
better to hire people that know what they're doing. So that way you only have five things that you would like to change on the shot and you still have the time and the budget to maybe do two or three. But then you're not sending out a shot that has seven mistakes. You're sending out a shot that has two mistakes. You're finalizing a shot that has minimal things wrong with it. But instead, you're sending out a shot that has over half of it wrong. Yeah, not okay. Additionally, they did not have the schedule and the budget. So they had to enlist Prana Studios in Mumbai, India to do the lighting and compositing. And I'm just going to fucking say it. You are getting the level of quality that you expect from outsourced lighting and compositing. It's not good. No, it's it's not good at all. They have, I will say, they have stepped up. They, okay, a little bit about Piranha Studios, because this, this is a little bit important. They are an American computer animation and visual effects company, and they were founded in 2005 in Los Angeles, but they have a wholly owned subsidiary in Mumbai, India. They opened their Mumbai office in 2003. They work pretty closely with the Weinstein company as of 2008, and they've definitely gone up in quality. Like, they've they've outsourced, but they're, I don't know. I think the budget does have something to do with it, because they do also work with Disney. Like, they've done Tinkerbell movies. Oh. They did uh, visual effects for Tron Legacy. They did... Um, planes fire and rescue oh yeah yeah they've they've done plenty of um it, like the disney movies and they've worked with disney tune r.i.p disney tune they've done vfx oh, they man. also did vfx for game of thrones i guess wow yeah oh they probably left that coffee cup in <laughs> so i you know they hoodwinked was like their first feature film you're kind of getting the exact quality that you're expecting for an eight million dollar budget as your first feature film first listed feature i will say this is the information that i have found and the information i can provide you yeah so here is where i get grumpy as fuck yeah, it's time. Knowing that they could not match the quality of other computer animated films. This is 2005. We've had Shrek. The fuck else have we had? Shrek. We've had two Shrek Shreks. is the only computer animated Sorry. film. Uh, CG animated films. We had a Kung Fu Panda by then, didn't we? Yeah, the highest grossing animated films of the year. Oh, shit. Chicken Little. So, top five. Madagascar, Chicken Little, Robots, Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Were-Rabbit, Corpse Bride, then Hoodwinked, then Valiant. Oh, wow. Then a Winnie the Pooh movie, then a Pokemon movie, then Detective Conan. Jesus. So, 2005 was a little bit slow. But we've, you know, we've got... Madagascar and two Shreks. We'll just use those as the baseline here because I don't remember fucking anything else. 
Knowing that they could not match the quality of the other computer animated films that were out, Hoodwinked was designed to imitate the look of stop motion. Corey Edwards cited Rankin-Bass as an inspiration and explained, if we approach our look like that, photographed miniatures in stop motion, and if that nostalgia resonates with our audience as far as that look, then we're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot trying to put every freckle and hair on photoreal creatures. What the hmm. fuck was photoreal in 2005? Certainly not Madagascar and certainly not robots. No. Like this isn't Distinctly this not. isn't fucking Final Fantasy Spirits Within. Throwback. <laughs> oh, right. Super throwback. Yeah. So they're just like, well, we don't have the budget to do good CG. Let's just make it look like stop motion. Implying the fact that stop motion is lesser in any way, shape, or form is massively insulting. Like, oh yeah, we don't it really we don't is. have the quality of the movie that we want to do, so we're gonna make it look like stop motion. We're gonna make it look like Rankin Bass. Beloved fucking family Christmas classics, Rankin Bass. It looked nothing like that. God like, I, I, that's obnoxious. And then they distancing the film from what Preston Stutzman called Preston, that's his name called the candy-coated, brightly colored pastel worlds of other CG animated films, an attempt was made to bring an organic look to the film and dirt was rubbed into the colors. What the fuck? What the fuck? No, it looked normally colored. It looked like somebody was like, well, we only know how to apply the Lambert shader. Fucking make this one red. It didn't look gritty. It didn't look dark. It didn't look organic at all. It looked plastic, disgusting, and fake. It really did. It all looked like garbage. I wouldn't say that Shrek was candy-coated or brightly colored. No, Shrek had a disgusting swamp. Madagascar was a little bit brightly colored, but you've got circus animals and zoo animals. Madagascar also had a cohesive style. Yeah, I know. That's... Ah, fucking... A Nightmare Before Christmas was cited as an inspiration to the filmmakers to try and bend the character's shapes into extremes. Not done successfully fucking at all. I could not tell you any example. Not in the least. And many of the other choices were unconventional to computer animated films. For example, one of the woodsman's eyes was made bigger than the other. I don't, I didn't notice that at all. And who cares? Red was only given four fingers to make her look more like a doll. Once again, uh, yeah. did not notice, did not care, and therefore it was not effective. Great. Katie Hooten, a producer, explained that CG in the past has been pushing the envelope to make things look more realistic, but Hoodwinked takes things back to where CG looks more like a cartoon. No. 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 You. If this is what you are trying to accomplish, you have been unsuccessful in every single fucking aspect of it. Like, this movie would have looked better if you physically made the characters and then had children reading the script with these stupid little dolls in their hands, like, I'm Red Riding Hood and I'm Granny, blah, blah, blah. Like, that would have been a better movie than Hoodwinked. It would have looked better. I. Corey Edwards. This was so bad. Corey Edwards. It looked like shit. 
he's still somehow doing things. He is currently tapped to write and direct the Fraggle Rock movie for the Jim Henson Company. Mm. Corey Edwards has been attached to Hoodwinked and Dougal. Heh. Stop. Nobody, like, here's, here's one of the problems, too. Nobody in Hollywood really fucking cares. That was hoodwinked. What a movie. Oh, no. I was going to pull up Corey Edwards defending criticism of his film on hoodwinked. Oh, God. Why? Why would you do that? Actually, I don't know if I can. You want to do that? He. That's fine. No, it's fine. Basically, like I have said previously, Corey Edwards' purpose in defending the criticism of his film on Animation Nation was... Because he wanted everybody to believe that the reason Hoodwinked looked the way it did was because of the film's production budget being $8 million and combined with the inexperience of his Philippines production crew. And this person is like the the writer of this article from 2006. Like this is an immediate rebuttal. The budget was not the primary barrier, barrier to the low artistic quality because if you think about it, we had things like The Triplets of Belleville that also was produced for $8 million. Bill Plimpton does things for well under a million dollars. And I love this. Hoodwinked lacks any such artistic motivation. The only vision behind this film, as far as one can tell from the finished results, is a shrewd opportunity to capitalize on the fairy tale skewing, skewing, skewering success of the Shrek franchise. The production was clearly set up to create a lame CG knockoff of Shrek and not to create a distinctive animated film appropriate to the budget. Oh, geez. And like people, I don't know. Corey Edwards has said that the only way he can create something of artistic value is if somebody gives him more money. No. It I mean, yeah. You can't in a little, you can't a little blame sense. an overseas production crew for things that should have been addressed in pre-production. Like if you understood how yeah. animation was like real artists do not blame other artists on their crew for the film shortcomings. Hoodwinked was no, Hoodwinked and was it's bad not- long before it was ever shipped over to the Philippines. Agreed. Also, it wasn't fair to put an unmanaged team in the Philippines of inexperienced animators together and expect them to crank out Shrek. Right. They, they were given minimal direction. Yeah. Absolutely. They did their best. Minimal. They tried their absolute fucking hardest. That's why this movie isn't as bad as Izzy's Way Home is because you can see that there was real ass effort put into it. It's... It's so... On the animator's part. It's so upsetting to me that... Oh, God. Hollywood and the film industry in general, especially, especially the live action, it... Animation, it's not that it costs too much or that there aren't enough talented animation directors, like people who know how to direct for animation. It's that... The live action people just don't understand animation. And they are the people yeah. that call the shots. And like we this is this is how we got 
Robert Zemeckis. This is why I, like when we watched fucking Mars Needs Moms and we're like, can Robert Zemeckis be stopped? I pointed out, <laughs> I pointed out that the mocap, it's it's closer to directing live action. And the reason it probably looks the way it does is because he is a live action director. That is what he's comfortable with and that is what he knows. But you can't have a live action director who knows nothing about animation just step in and just be like, yeah, I'm going to make all these movies. I'm sure in very, very rare cases it works, but it it clearly is not the best model. On that note, B-movie 2. Let me write B2V. it. B-2-V. b 2 Fuck. I'm mad about <laughs> Get it. Get out of here. I'm mad about it. How fucking yeah. dare you? To close this podcast, please be certain to sign the petition to allow Emily and I to write, direct, and handboard B-2-V, B-movie 2, along with the very limited input of one Jerry Seinfeld. If anything, we would like him to come into the recording booth blindfolded and have his lines fed to him by a paid intern, so that way, one, that intern can eat, but two, he'll have no idea how to act and the movie will be even more confusing. No, no, no. I want them to literally feed him the lines. Like, each line is written. Oh. Each line is written on something, and he has to guess what it says. Like, we give him the basic plot, and we tell him, like, we describe the scene in the storyboards, and then we physically feed him the bits of paper. We can make it edible paper, but, I mean, yeah. all paper is edible if you try hard enough and you believe in yourself. Like, actual <laughs> edible paper. It's true. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't want Jerry Seinfeld to get an upset stomach while he works on B-Movie 2, but this intern is going to have to sit there in the recording booth with Jerry Seinfeld and feed him strips of edible paper and then Jerry Seinfeld has to do whatever line he thinks is on that script piece of paper. Please support our Patreon specifically to get this done. Sign our petition. Go stand outside of your local blockbuster video until we direct B2V. Thank you for listening to Animated Opinions. This has been a mission. Kill me. (laughs) 